one, no. So on there, the session title is The Student Years, and uh, speaker, just write in Thomas or Jesse Thomas, and at the end, you can tell me. Well, you know, I don't get to see it, so you can say whatever you want. <laughs> so um, we are going to start. I'm going to have Dr. Liz pray for us, and then we'll get going. Okay, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much that you are God that you are king and that we get to serve you, that we get to serve a God who is kind and compassionate and full of love. And so, God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, to be encouraged by our brothers and sisters that we're either meeting for the first time or being reunited with. God, thank you for just the legacy that has gone before us here of people that have served you for years and years. And, God, just thank you for the, the privilege of being here as students, as people early in their careers, as people that have been here in their careers for a long time. I've just being able to rejoice in all that you've done over this over this land, in this um, in this world. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege of being your kids and being able to be a part of it. And so, God, today, um, we just ask that you would be present in this hour, that you would speak through Jesse and I, and God, that, um, that you would give the students ears to hear you, give them eyes to see you, and God, more than anything, God, yes, we're practical steps to where you are leading us, but God, more than anything, we just ask and pray that we would hear you this conference, that we would hear you this weekend, that as a result of all of this, that we would all fall more in love with you as a result. We love you, Jesus, and we praise you, and we trust your name. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Um, dis- uh, disclaimer, is that the word? If you are a nursing student, undergrad, nursing, BSN, or in anything like that, I just want to tell you up front, this seminar is not going to be helpful for you because we're doing very nitty-gritty nuts and bolts of the pre-med, pre-PA, behavioral health um, track. So if you are in nursing school, um, now's your chance to, like, sneak out the back door because and, and attach another seminar that might be more helpful for you. Uh, but if you want to stay, you are welcome. Um, if you are thinking nurse practitioner down the road, then yes. Um, stay, but uh, there are other seminars that probably will be more helpful for you. So, first question: Raise your hand if this is your first uh, GMHC conference. Ooh, yay! yay. Amen. Welcome. Okay. Welcome. But I am glad that you all are here. Uh, the reason why we started doing the seminar, we've done it a couple. Of, I guess it's the second year now. Unless, did anybody go to Urbana Missions Conference? Yes, I did this con- a talk at Urbana as well. So, if you already heard it already, like now's your time chance to leave also. Um, So the reason why we started doing this talk is because all of us hear this call to be missionaries, to be the light of the world, to go and make disciples of every nation. We're all called to be the aroma of Christ. We're all called to be Christ's ambassadors. So with our interest and our gifting in healthcare, we get excited about sharing the gospel with this type of background in healthcare so we can reach the unreached. So it is all very exciting, and it's very powerful because our God is a powerful God. So if you're called by God and you have a desire to obey, wouldn't it be awesome to be fully prepared to serve in this way? Um, There's a lot of seminars that you're going to hear about that are really great um, but not very practical. So I'm going to give you a ton of practical information Uh, It's not going to cover everything. It's not extensive. We're we're really skimming the surface. Um, This is my friend, Dr. Liz Redigan. She's a practicing family physician, and she works at Lawndale Christian Health Center, who has a booth downstairs, by the way. Yeah, come visit us. They are... Yes. You take a lot of students. Yeah. Uh, They are in an underserved community in Chicago. 
and she's the assistant program director for a brand new family medicine <coughs> residency program that's launching soon. So if that's down the road something you're thinking of, she's a great person to talk to. Um, and afterward, we're both available, but she can help you with the more medically medical training uh, directed questions. Um, the reason that I want to do this talk is uh, a lot of students have questions, but there are questions they're not asking because they don't know what to ask because you're only so far in the process. So that's why I'm going to cover a lot of those things. Uh, there, there's going to be video, audio links for all of these seminars at GMHC. So if you're like, oh, I was trying to figure out which one to go to and I feel like I missed that one, don't worry about it. You can go back and hear the audio links. You can even hear this link later if you're like, oh, what did she say about you know that program? Um, so you can go back and listen to all of those things. Uh, when we're doing the slides, feel free to take pictures of any of the slides for like information. Don't feel like, oh wait, she went too fast, so I need to write this all down. Hello, welcome, come on this side. So, a little, about, little bit about me. Uh, my name is Jessie Thomas. Uh, sorry, I'm, uh, what is this called, accident prone. And so, people have been putting their laptops in this. I'm like, I am seriously gonna like crash my laptop. And I know because I've done one already. So, I'm, I'm gonna be doing a little Bending action. Um, has anybody heard of Christian Community Health Fellowship? So, yay! Um, our booth is downstairs on the front, uh, on the first floor down there, but we are, uh, well, okay, has anybody heard of CMDA, Christian Medical Dental Association? They're actually having an ice cream social today. Um, after this, you can grab your lunch and go to um, the session, which is in ATCR room 207. So that's a great place to network and meet other Christians. So we are actually a partner ministry of CMDA. Uh, what is CCHF? We are a movement of God's people who choose daily to promote healing in, uh, in marginalized communities in the name of Jesus. So uh, if you are involved with Campus Fellowship, anybody heard of Crew or InterVarsity, we're also a strategic partner for them. A lot of them work with the undergrad students, and uh, they do some grad students, but specifically in healthcare, we kind of take over as you're going through the pipeline. So the mission of Christian Community Health Fellowship is to encourage, engage, and equip Christians to live out the gospel among the poor and the marginalized. And we're very specific on living among the poor and the marginalized because you should not feel like ministry is doing something to someone or doing something for someone. It's being among them because Jesus was among us. So we're one of the co-sponsors of this conference along with CMDA, and you can come visit our booth in 1301 on the first floor. Uh, CMDA really focuses on discipleship of students, whereas CCHF, we come in with resources of how do you strategically prepare for healthcare among the poor. So um, up in the right, that uh, you're right. Um, that's my family up there. Uh, I have three children. My oldest just started med school. My daughter's in college. My son is just graduating high school, so I'm about to empty nest. Um, and we have been living in the t hills of Tennessee in Appalachia for 19 years. Um, and the bottom, that's our staff that you will see at the booth, and the headquarters is in Memphis. Uh, I work remotely in East Tennessee because I do student ministry, and students are everywhere, and so um, they're most free in the evenings, so I get to work from home. Uh, sometimes I go where the students are at speaking engagements, but sometimes students come to me. So we have some students here, and where that green arrow is, that's Dr. Liz and one of our students that came out to visit. So if you come and visit me, I will take you hiking because 
that's what we do in the mountains because uh, there's not much else to do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's beautiful. Yeah. So I've been coming to this conference since 2001 on and off. So I've been here like more than a dozen times. And the, the first time we came, it was like, okay, God, what, what do you want us to do? What's going on out there? And then as I've been coming, what I've found is community, encouragement, and just like learning what is God doing all around the world. And even if, though it doesn't affect what I may be personally called to, it's good to know what God is doing around there, to know how to pray strategically, to meet people. Uh, my husband and I, we actually met at Urbana Missions Conference 25 years ago, and he was a first-year medical student at that time. We got married his third year of med school, so I had vicariously lived through the entire process because of him. Um, we, and now that I have a son in med school, too, I'm, it's starting all over again. So we've been able to see firsthand what students need, um, how they struggle through things, and we help answer questions about okay, what is it that God is calling me to do and, and how am I being informed so we can help students with that. Uh, I've been able to see all the practical aspects of missions preparation. Um, I was on a board for a mission agency. So I actually do not see patients. I'm not in the medical field. I went to seminary. I've been doing um, student ministry for more than 20 years. And uh, that's why I have Dr. Liz here. I'm like, oh, you've lived it a little bit more than me. Um, but I am going to give you a general rundown of uh, information that pertains to missional medicine. So the first thing you need to know, everybody's going to give you advice all over the place. Like your mom's going to give you advice. Med students will give you advice. Uh, your siblings are like, don't leave me and go off to residency. And this. Like everybody's going to give you advice. You do not need to follow every bit of advice that you get because you will be overwhelmed. Um, so even as I'm giving you all this information, uh, you need to pray first about what it is, what it is that you need to do. Um, okay, so let's do a show of hands. If you are in undergrad, pre-med, raise your hands. Yay. Right. Okay. Um, if you are not, oh, anybody going into PA school? PA school? Yes? Oh, Excellent. Yes. Um, how many of you are like, I don't know what God wants me to do. I'm just like going along for the ride. Wow, you're so like... Focused, yeah. Cool. Okay, so some advice while you are um, in undergrad. Um, These seem basic, but this is all information that a medical student said, you need to let your undergrad pre-med students know this stuff. So I'm just going to reiterate it to you because he thought it was really important. Um, Study habits. You need to learn how to focus. If you right now feel like, oh, I keep getting stressed, I keep watching these YouTube videos, like, no, you need to learn how to focus because if you don't learn that now, it will cripple you later. Um, Maybe you need to work on your speed reading skills, go to office hours, tutoring, get whatever you need to do to get prepared. Um, And just learn, like, what is best for you. Are you a morning person, so you need to study first thing in the morning? Or maybe it's um, after, like, you exercise or you eat well. Just know how to prepare best. Um, And along with that is a good work ethic. If you don't um, enjoy some aspect of working hard, you are going to have a hard time in the long haul. Uh, So in case you haven't heard, medicine is really hard. It is really hard. And everybody says, yeah, yeah, I've heard it. And my son who's a med student, he's like, No, I heard it, but I did not get it until I got here. So, again, we're warning you, it's really hard. So, since it's challenging, you actually have to enjoy some aspect of studying and working hard. Yeah, thank you. Um, While you're in school, get mentors. So, an academic mentor can help you be well-rounded. I know a student who was really interested in um, going to an 
1040 window to a Middle Eastern country. So he actually took Arabic for all four years of his undergrad, but he also um, did Middle Eastern studies, and that was part of his major, and he had an advisor in that department. Because of that, he learned much more about the culture and understood why there were health disparities because of the contributing factors. So in church, he just learned, oh, it's just they don't know Jesus and that's why they're suffering. But it's a much bigger picture than that. So if you are having a mentor in in a different discipline, that might help you um, to have a broader perspective. And it really opened his eyes to see um, different people groups and have a bigger heart for them and to know how to pray for them and support missionaries that are already there. So a mentor can also speak into your strengths and into your weaknesses and help guide you in the process. Um, If you are not yet taking any honors classes and you have the ability to, try and take honors classes. That will help prepare you because it is more rigorous. Um, If you have not yet declared a major but you just assume I should be a science major, you do not need to be a science major to go into medicine. If you love something else, or interested in something else, you can major in anything. You, you definitely still need to do the pre-med track of all those requirements and study hard for orgo and biochemistry, but you do not need to be a science major. Um, medical schools aren't looking for science nerds. They are looking for well-rounded people. So if you love science, yeah, go ahead and take all those classes. Otherwise, try and pray and, and think about like other things that might be more interesting for you, like cultural classes, um, being a language major, maybe it's anthropology, history. I mean, if you're a history major, you can learn so much about a different region or people group um, that's really going to be uh, helping you be more well-informed. Um, and, you know, lots of people are like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go overseas, but first I have to take two years of language class before. Take it now and, like, get it over with because uh, it'll be easier. And then you'll also have peers who are from the – so, like, my, both my kids took Arabic class – And because of it, they were able to develop relationships with Arabic students on their campus. And then my son actually started a ministry called Faith and Chai, where he, um, his campus ministry, which was uh, Asian American University, partnered with the Muslim Student Association on campus. And they did this Faith and Chai series where every month they were talking about spiritual issues and their perspectives. And because of it, it opened doors, opened conversations, and developed relationships. So don't wait to go overseas to do mission work because you should be having those spiritual conversations now. And because um, God wants to do something, you, you're on your campus for a reason. And so be strategic where you are and, and the time that He's given you and the relationships that He's given you. Uh, the next, this is really important. You need to examine your motives. Why are you here? Some people go to pre med and choose pre-med because they want to help other people. And I want to assure you, there are a myriad of ways to help people. And being a doctor is not the best way to help somebody. Think about what are your gifts and talents. There are people who have giftings in non-medical areas, but then they switch to pre-med because they're like, you know what, I want to be a missionary doctor because I think I can best serve people that way. But then they, they struggle uh, academically, or they just like are not having peace about it, and they get really disappointed. If this is you, and you feel this pressure to go into medicine, let me give you permission to look at other options. You do not need to be a medical missionary to be your best for God. You need to be who God designed you to be. That being said, right now I know three people who are practicing medicine who really do not like practicing medicine. Uh, they're actually gifted in it and they're talented in it, 
And these three people were just seeking Christ and seeking a way to share the gospel. And God continued to lead them down the way of medicine. So they just, like, kept going and submitted to, to his leadership. And now all three are actually achieving their goals by having spiritual conversations with people who probably never would have, like, come into a, like, a church or a, a Christian environment. Um, there was a survey done, I feel like, a couple of years ago where people asked the general American population, who are the top people you trust? Number one was nurse. I think number two or three was doctor. And, like, number 15 was pastor. So as a medical professional, you have a voice into people's lives that you would not have any other way. So if God is calling you into medicine, it is to be very strategic. Um, there's a talk that uh, on our website that you can listen to. It's a uh, resident. She's in residency now. Her name is Kate Abraham. She had been praying, like, God, what do you want me to do in life? And she felt like God was calling her to health care. But she didn't get into med school the first time around. So then she was like, okay, God, is this what you're calling me to? But And, and the other thing is she didn't even really like medicine. She's like, I just feel like God's calling me to do it, so let me just give it a shot. So God had a plan for her to serve missionally, specifically in healthcare. So she did get into med school the second time around, but then God had her move into an underserved community near her med school. She lived intentionally in an apartment complex with refugees and immigrants. And so in between studying, she would actually go and help her neighbors, help with their children, uh, do dinners with them, help them with their English, filling out paperwork, And in that process, she was able to have real relationships with people from Asia and Africa that was far more um, strategic than if she actually just went one week and did a mission trip over there. And this was right in her building where she lived. God had used her. So over her four years of medical school, she wasn't the only one. By the time she graduated, more than 20 students ended up living in that same complex and developing relationships missionally with the refugees there. So if you want to hear more about this incredible story, I can, you can contact me and I can give you the audio link for that. So as you're examining your heart, really examine what are your motives for being in medicine. It's so easy to be tempted by salary and prestige. The enemy wants to distract us from building the kingdom of God by building our own kingdom with good things. Um, and don't think it can't happen to you because we have seen too many people fall away uh, than And it's not as, uh, it's too common, is the point. Uh, So let me hand it over to Liz. Okay, so next is just a very practical thing of MD versus DO. So who in the group has, who in the group has a DO as their personal doctor? Okay, a couple of you. Who knows of DOs? Okay, most of you. Who's never heard of the concept? And it's okay, there's no shame. Okay, so everybody's kind of heard a little bit about... I'm sorry, I tend to walk away from the mic. Thank you so much. Are you going to take it and walk? Uh, No, I'll stay put for right now. (laughs) We'll save that for later. Um, So um, let me just go through kind of the commonalities of the two. So both are physicians. Both go to medical school. Both take boards. Both go to residency. Both prescribe medicine. And when I talk about residencies, they... There's no limitation to what DOs versus MDs can do. So they can do anesthesiology, psychology, family medicine. There's no limitations, right? The difference is 
Much, much of it is founded in the theory. So osteopathy, so another name for DOs is a doctor of osteopathy. Much of that, that was founded over 100 years ago by a man by the name of A.T. Still. And much of the difference is founded in the theory of, of osteopathic medicine. He found that over 100 years ago when he was caring for his patients, they just weren't getting better. He's like, what's going on? I don't understand. And what he noticed was that when a patient's spine was malaligned, that it was affecting other parts of their body. So it would affect the fluid within them, and it would affect the, the nerves and the adjacent tissues and organs. And instead, if he realigned the spine, it helped the body to get in a position that would heal itself. It kind of sounds a little bit voodoo-ish, but it's not. But it like, but there is actually like real theory to it. And much of that theory that's and techniques of A.T. Still that he formed over 100 years ago is still practiced in, those, in medical schools today. Now, I, hear me when I say not all DOs will practice these techniques, but they're, um, they're kind of the foundation of our, of our learning, as amongst all the other things as our, that are foundational in the allopathic schools. So there's a lot more material in an osteopathic school. There's probably about 200 hours more of material that's really focused on musculoskeletal care and will be focused on that certain type of manipulation can, that can realign your spine and other, other parts of your body so that it can be in a position of healing itself. So then you ask the question, like, 200 plus more hours, why would I want to do that? That sounds horrible. Um, I, and yes, I agree with you. But there, there's really lovely things about it because it, it gives you a much better understanding of the musculoskeletal system, and it also really gives you a, a greater appreciation for just the power of touch and, like, how healing just touch alone can be. Because um, in, in osteopathic school, we're, we're practicing on one another for the first two years, where in most other medical schools, you don't really touch a soul for the first two years until you're in clinicals, and then you kind of, like, barely touch the patient, right? Like, this, you get to touch people right away, and it just feel a lot more comfortable with um, with patients and patient care. And so that is kind of one of the biggest differences. And now not to say not to poo-poo on my MD brothers because they're phenomenal physicians as well. And much of their difference is that they're just a lot more focused on research. So I would say that for sure, I, my school, I, I'm ideal. For my school lacked in research, whereas the MDs are a lot stronger in that. And that also kind of will bode into what we end up becoming specialized in. So osteopathic schools oftentimes more specialize in primary care, so pediatrics, family medicine, uh, OB, whereas internal medicine, whereas um, MD schools will oftentimes just go a little bit more of the subspecialized route. Does that make it a little bit clearer for everybody? If you have more questions, I'll be around later too. Um, yeah, and so the whole point of it is, Pray about where God would want you to go, because he may want you to go through either, and where he wants you to go is the right place to go. Um, so in healthcare, there are other disciplines to consider. There's nursing, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, dental pharmacy, behavioral health, clinical psychology, occupational therapy, optometry. Like, there are so many ways. So do not be fixated. Like, medical doctor is the only way. No, there are so many ways. So really pray and consider what are the options that are out there. If you have originally gone pre-med, um, please pray about your end goals because there's some, maybe something else God is calling you to do. One time I did a missionary trip to Nicaragua. I was praying about, is God calling me to do orphan care there? And I happened to meet a man who just came back to Nicaragua. He was a missionary kid, grew up in Nicaragua, and he saw the health care needs. And so he wanted to go um, and be a missionary, uh, medical missionary to them. So he was going to go the medical track. And then once he got to America and learned more about it, he's like, okay, I could spend four years in med school, four, three to four years in residency, possibly do a fellowship, um, and then go back to my people, 
Or I can be a physician assistant because even if I learn all those things in med school, when I go back, there's no labs, there's no MRI machine, there's no hospital, there's all these things that um, in the areas that he wanted to go that he couldn't use any of the resources. There are no resources. So he's like, why would I spend all this time and money for an education that I'm not even going to use when all I want to do is to have an open door to the gospel and take care of the basic needs um, that are there? So he ended up doing that. So after two and a half years, he was able to be on the mission field that he had been praying about which God called them to do. So um, that's another reason, like, what, what is your end goal? What are you thinking that God wants you to do? Um, I, a, another reason, you know, with your motives is, do you feel this pressure that people are telling you, you should really be a doctor? So lots of people go into medicine for all different reasons. I was raised in an immigrant home, and so when immigrants come to America, why do they come? So there's a better life for your kids. So obviously that means you should be a doctor because you're financially secure. And so I was like, no way, because, you know, I'm like the opposite end of science. I was an advertising major. Um, so, but my brother, he and all his friends, they all went pre-med. And when he got there, he's like, I don't actually like the human body, but you know what I like? I like teeth. So he ended up being, uh, going into dentistry. And that's him, loving teeth. Um, and there is such a need for dental that, you know, if we don't think about it, there are needs in so many different areas. So let's move on to vocation. Um, a calling is not necessarily what you do with your hands and feet, but who God designed you to be. At this conference, I hope you all got this call to be a missionary because God wants you to be his witnesses. When I knew God was calling me to partner with him, I knew he was calling me to be a disciple maker. But the context of who to disciple and where to do that continues to change, and it has changed for the past 25 years. So stop and think, who is God calling you to be? This is going to be a process. And that's why we encourage you to find people and places to help inform you and shape you. I mean, that's why we're all at this conference, right, to figure out where is God directing me and who are the people that can, can help with that molding. So we ask you, in between your studying, to look for opportunities, just the same way that Kate looked for opportunities during med school to be in a refugee community. Um, now, I know research is really big in some schools, and if that is exciting for you, you love research, then go ahead, spend time doing it. But if you're just trying to make your resume look good, God is sovereign. If God wants you to go to med school, doesn't matter what's on your resume, you're going to med school. So if you're only doing it to look good, don't do it for that reason, because that's not a good enough reason. Look for opportunities to grow. Volunteering is also good, but there are too many places that say, oh, this is a clinic for those who have nothing. So we'll just have, like, old equipment and subpar care because it's better than nothing. When we do that, we're not treating people with dignity. Why should the poor get anything less than those who can afford it? So you want to spend time in places that are treating the poor and the marginalized with respect, with integrity. Um, so look for shadowing opportunities or projects that are going to mold you into the type of servant that God is calling you to be. Um, has anybody ever heard of John Perkins? John Perkins, a few? Yes. We are big John Perkins fans at CCHF. Um, he actually... Uh, when did he start? He's been around for, I mean, he's like in his 80s now. Yeah. So in the civil rights movement, like he was, he's not medical, but he saw the health disparities in underserved communities and try to bring healthcare workers there. So that's kind of how our ministry started. Also, Christian Community Development Association started because of him. He talks about something called the three R's. 
Um, you can Google his name or go on Amazon, and he's got a bunch of books, which we highly recommend. But the three R's mean relocation, reconciliation, and redistribution. And it's kind of based on Jesus. Relocation. Jesus came to the planet Earth in human form to show us how to live our lives in a way that honors God and bring the kingdom of God here. Reconciliation. This is Jesus' ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. Redistribution. God cares about the poor. And so it's not that the, the rich have everything and the poor don't get anything. God meant for all people to be taken care of. When you spend your summers and your spring break, your fall break, winter break, wherever you get a chance to live incarnationally in the hard places, you're practicing the three R's, that's when you're going to really understand missional medicine. Micah 6.8 says, uh, he has shown you what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Three things, do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. So you can't just do that one week a year at a mission trip. To do Micah 6.8, you need to do that day in, day out. And even if you worked at a Christian clinic or a mission setting, missions is not something that you do nine to five. It has to become a part of you. Uh, anybody interested in taking a gap year? As a possibly, possibly. Okay, so um, over there, I put out some papers. I only have one of each. You can go ahead and take a picture. Some of those have gap year programs. Some of those are summer programs. But it's how you can intentionally um, spend your time being in a underserved area, living amongst the poor, and seeing how ministry is done in those areas and how you can have spiritual conversations in those areas. Um, we, I knew of a student who did a gap year in inner city Philadelphia, and first he thought, yeah, this will be a good time for me to like study for my MCAT and get some shadowing hours, and it changed his life because he ended up staying there. Um, he lived in an underserved community with a bunch of medical students, and as he was there, he started realizing the hardships of living a life of poverty, which he had never really thought about before because he grew up in the suburbs. And so as he was there, he's like, oh, my car broke down. Okay, how do I get to work? How do I navigate the bus system? It's only five miles, and it's taking me an hour to get to the clinic. Um, he started seeing what it's like to, to love his neighbors and see how his neighbors were fearful about the drug addicts that were also on the street. When you live in an intentional community, um, it, incarnationally, that's when you get to see those types of opportunities. So we highly encourage you to, to really pray and think about how can you spend your breaks um, being in those types of communities. Um, when you come to a conference like this, it's really easy to get excited about serving somewhere else cross-culturally. But the fact is that there's a good chance that those dreams might get choked out by the day-to-day realities of life. There was actually a study done a few years ago to see if religious people were more drawn to serving the poor than non-religious people. And guess what the study showed? Faith made no difference. Both secular and religious people had an equal affinity to serving the poor. But then they looked at the people of faith that did choose to serve missionally, and they found that they had two things in common. One is that they had a catalytic event that they attended. And the second is they spent time with a mentor in a setting where they could see sacrificial, sacri living sacrificially modeled. So right now you're at this catalytic event. This conference is shaping you if you let it. And there's so many more conferences that I've listed here that you can Google and find out about them. But you do not want to be a conference junkie that gets their hit every year and attends this conference 
and then goes back unchanged. Take what you've heard from here and review it. Pray over it. Talk to other people, especially people that didn't come with you, and tell them the things that you saw God doing here, the stories that you've heard, um, because when you do do that, it's going to shape you. Then start putting those things into action. Look for different opportunities and ask people to hold you accountable. Uh, Is anybody here already in grad school, med school, PA school, anything like that? Yes? If you come and talk to me afterward, um, our ministry, we have our conference, which, I mean, it's open to anybody. Anybody can come. But we have a specific graduate student cohort, uh, and we have a, like, intentional living for you all and kind of mold you. So this is our CCHF conference. It's held in March in Cincinnati area. And um, when you come, like, we work with you so that you can make those connections with other people. Um, And what's great about this conference, it's much smaller than GMHC, so it's highly relational. So you get to sit one-on-one with uh, clinic leaders around the country, uh, people who have stories of how God called them to serve. So, like, our stories, we were... We thought we would be overseas. We came to GMHC, found an opportunity, went to India, went to um, survey the land, and God was just closing all these doors. And we're like, God, why are, the, why are we not getting to stay overseas? Isn't that what you called us to do? And instead, God had us to do cross-cultural ministry in Appalachia. So it's funny to see, like, the joke is you go to Facebook pages and people in their profile um, have, like, they go to Africa, and so it's like a white person with black babies that they're holding. So we're the opposite. We're we're the brown people in Appalachia serving the white people. And so when we talk about being in Appalachia and we think, oh, did we hear God wrong when God called us to be missionaries? No, because we are Yankees. I'm from New York. My husband's from Chicago. We live in the Bible Belt in Appalachia in this complete different subculture um, with almost a different dialect. And we are definitely doing cross-cultural ministry. So what you may think God's calling to may be like totally different than what God is actually telling you to do. So don't put God in a box because you have no idea what God has planned for you. Another thing that we ask students to do, especially when they get to the third and fourth year of med school, is to come and do a preceptorship. You all have to do clinical rotations. So we have clinics all across the country where you can spend one month shadowing a Christian doctor and getting those preceptorships credits that you need anyway. And then when you spend a whole month incarnationally seeing what it looks like, you're going to learn and it's going to stick with you even better. So... Uh, the main point is to find ways to watch faith and healthcare practice intersecting because that, again, that catalytic event and that spending time with a mentor, that's what's going to help you see, okay, these are places that I don't think God is calling me to. I see some closed doors here, but these are places I have never even thought of. I want to start praying. Is this where God is calling me? Um, look for gap year opportunities. And uh, also, just even in your neighborhood, And in your schools, are you praying? Are you actively evangelizing right now? Sometimes I'll meet students in undergrad, and they're like, what can I do to, like, get that experience for medical missions? Your undergrad years are your most strategic time to learn how to share the gospel, how to have spiritual conversation, love people in your dorm, and be a light on your campus. There's actually a ministry called everycampus.com, and it's a unit. It's, there's a revival that's happening across the country, and we are encouraging students to pray for your campus, but then what are the campuses that are around you that may not have a Christian 
witnessing community and pray for those camps, do start do, doing prayer walks. Um, and eventually that morphs into Bible studies, which morphs into, and like, and when I say Bible study, I mean like meeting with non-Christians to talk about what is, what is the Bible and is it what the culture says? Is what you see in the media and that's Christianity? Is that really Christianity? Or is Jesus telling us something radically different about loving the unlovable and those that are um, not treated well in society, that we treat them with respect and dignity? So as you're an undergrad, make sure that you are in some sort of um, community where you are learning how to do those skills. When you come to a conference like this, it's easy to see uh, Doctors Without Borders, Operation Smile, Mercy Ships, and it's very glamorous to think, oh, I could do surgery on on a boat off of Madagascar. And if you are called to do surgery, yes, go ahead and do that. But if you're at the stage of your training where you're like, God, I am just open to anything, lead me wherever you want me to do, I want to be impactful for your kingdom, then I encourage you to look at primary care. So primary care means internal medicine, family practice, OB, uh, pediatrics. Not as much pediatrics is a a need, but it is still under primary care. But when you start looking at those things, um, those are needs right now, and especially if you want to be on the mission field, Uh, those are the most impactful ways. So I'm going to have Liz tell you more about family practice and training. Okay. So it's like far too early to know what you're going to specialize in now. But just out of show of hands, who has like thought about family practice or family medicine? Okay. Okay. A little bit here. I'm just going to warn you, I'm pretty biased. I'm a family practice doc. Um, So I'm going to tell you about family practice and why I chose it um, and maybe try to convince you. Just saying. Um, so, convinced. Right. Amen. Um, so, I wanted to let me just kind of talk in general about family medicine because I don't think there's a full understanding of what it is exactly. So, family medicine is specializing in taking care of the whole family. It's not just like a oh, you're just a general doc that just does whatever. Like, no, it's really specializing in taking care of the whole family. So, we start in taking care of somebody in the womb, prenatal care as a child, as they're growing up, into adolescent years, as an adult, and then into those years when they're when um, in the geriatric years, and then into end-of-life care, so palliative care, hospice care. Family practice docs do all of those things. And what you'll notice really specifically about family practice, or about those specific areas, is that they're so relational, right? Like, what is it like to now look at your family who has a whole other baby that's going to affect the lives of your other kids. Well, I got to take care of you prenatally, and I got to meet your other kids, and now I get to help you, like, shape what that looks like to have a fourth child in the family. What does it look like to take care of your mom who is close to dying, and I've taken care of your mom? And, and so just all these different parallels, right, of, like, and now allowing her to die in peace and not necessarily have it be a miserable a miserable death and, ha- and help the family grieve along those processes. So it's I just want you to get this beautiful picture that like family medicine crosses all layers of, of life stages and it's super relational. So I went into family medicine, one, because I wanted to do mission work. I imagined myself um, working somewhere in the middle of nowhere and I don't know, some say, sub-Saharan Africa is what I envisioned. Um, And I really wanted to, if I was the only doctor in Miles, I wanted to be able to take care of the patient. And so that's the other really lovely thing about family medicine is it's just kind of a jack of all trades. You learn a lot about a lot of different various things. And so I wanted to be able to take care of, okay, if they're critically ill, I should be able to take care of them. If they're going to deliver a baby, I want to be able to take care of them. If I want to do preventative preventative medicine, I want to be able to take care of them. Um, 
And I also really love the relational aspect. When people would ask me, like, oh, what kind of medicine? I'm like, oh, I really like family. I just want to, like, you know, be at the office visit and be like, how's your grandma doing? Tell me what's going on in the fam. Like, just really have that relationship with the fa- with the patient. Because really, like, that's, that's how God works. God works in relationships. He works in telling stories. And so I, I wanted to be able to to use that relationship of, we see your patients a lot as a family practice doctor. You get to really know them. And so I get to know about the lives of their daughters. I get to know about the lives of their husbands. And so with that relationship, they also get to know me. And so they, they hear about Jesus. He comes up a lot. And so it's a really sweet opportunity to really share the truth of the gospel with your patients. So many plans are the man's of man, but the Lord purposes prevail, right? I'm clearly not in sub-Saharan Africa. In fact, I'm on the very cold and urban west side of Chicago is where I currently work. And praise God, I'm still able to take care of the critically ill. I'm still able to deliver babies as a family practice doc. I'm still able to do all the primary care aspects um, of preventative medicine. And I'm still able to have those really in-depth relational conversations with my patients of really getting to know them, them getting to know me, and being able to share just the freeing truth and healing truth that comes through knowing Jesus Christ. Come on back up. Okay. The flip side of primary care. So, unfortunately... Uh, There is this sentiment in a lot of medical schools that are telling students, don't go into primary care because you're smarter than that. Don't go into primary care because you deserve to make a lot of money, and you're not going to make a lot of money in primary care. So this, like faculty, I've heard people say faculty have said this. Um, And so it's just really sad because there is such a huge need But over time, if you keep hearing professors and advisors encouraging you to go to a specialty so you get paid more, and maybe like, oh, yeah, if you go into this field, you only have to work two days a week or three days a week and make enough money, and then you can go on your vacations, um, and then you'll get paid what you're worth. When you start hearing those things, it starts chipping away at you. And I even heard somebody at this conference told me and their faculty, the professor literally, the preceptor literally said, Um, only stupid people go into family medicine. And so then you're like, oh, well, then I don't want to do that. So the problem with getting super specialized when you're trying to be missional is that you have a less of a chance to develop longer-term relationships. Is there a need for surgery? Yes. But truthfully, you see the patient, maybe pre-op, you do your surgery, and then, like, you don't see them again. So it's not that there's not a need, and it's not that you shouldn't do it. But if you are trying to be a missionary that has relationship, that's what we're encouraging you to pray about, because, um, because obviously we need surgeons. But this gives you a platform to have those kinds of conversations that Liz was talking about. My husband also does full-spectrum family medicine, and I can't tell you how many patients now call him a family member because he had seen one patient, delivered their baby, they tell their sister, he delivers their baby, they tell their grandparents, and all of a sudden he's seeing the entire clan, and then he gets invited to their baptisms and to their weddings. He's done their eulogies at their funerals. And so those kinds of relationships don't happen if you're just in and out with your patients. So uh, he also is kind of like 
not a t- ADD, but like he loves everything. So he's like, oh, I love surgery. And because he does C-sections also and other minor surgeries. Um, but I love peds. I love kids. And I, but I love old people. When you have family practice, you get to do all that. And he has loved doing it and has been able to impact so many people because of it. I'm going to show you three maps right now of deficiencies in the U.S., um, in healthcare, and these are all maps that the government has put out and said uh, there is a problem and we need to have uh, providers in these areas. So the first one is primary care. Yeah. So the dark green areas are where there is the highest need for primary care physicians. 9.3% of all medical students by the time they graduate, actually go into family medicine, and family medicine is the easiest way to take care of all the needs in these areas. So truly, if you're like, I don't really know yet, please pray about going into family medicine. As you know, behavioral health is so, you know, uh, care is so needed now. And one of the cool uh, innovations that have happened recently is the integration of behavioral health in um, uh, primary care clinics. So like where my husband works, you go in to, you know, for whatever physical ailment you have, and then as the provider is listening to your story, then they connect you to see a behavioral health consultant, clinical psychologist, because it's whole person care. It's not just your physical needs, your emotional, spiritual, mental, like it's all combined. And so if you are considering, if you're a psych major, and there is such a need for behavioral health. So um, these are the darkest areas are, again, to consider. And again, dentistry is also needed. So the darkest purple areas are for dental care. So please pray about doing something more strategic and significant than what the average school is saying. No, this is better for you. Because you're not in this for you. You're in this for God. You're in this for the kingdom. And where you've seen all those shortages, it's not just the physical, mental needs. It's the spiritual needs. Because when you're uh, trying just to feed yourself and get through life with all the different um, problems that you have, you're not really focused on your spiritual life, but that's when you're the, the neediest spiritually. So you have an opportunity to, to live out the gospel here. So some people come to this conference, they're like, I don't know, is God calling me overseas? Is he calling me to stay here? Global missions includes the U.S. The United States is part of the globe, so it's not like you have to decide. Like, you are going to do global missions. So you take that question out of your mind right now. There are unreached people groups overseas, and there are unreached people groups here. God has brought so many people here from unreached people groups um, in the form of uh, refugees and immigrants. So, uh, in addition, there are so many pockets of people who don't know the Lordship of Christ. You can bring the kingdom of God to them. So just continue your preparation for wherever God is sending you. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about is avoiding spending so much money. If you are an undergrad, you may want to consider going to a med school that is in-state to save money. There's been so much um, of attaining prestige. I want to go to the best school, which usually comes with the highest price tag. If you're going into missional medicine, you don't need a name brand school. Okay? You're going to learn the same thing and take the same tests. So if you're not going into academia, you don't need a name brand school. Um, there was a couple that came to interview where my husband works, and after hearing the, uh, the salary, they're like, you know what, we cannot take this job because I, we are half a million dollars in debt. 
And with the salary that we're going to have, we just have to make a lot more money. They lost their opportunity to serve missionally in Appalachia, even though they really wanted to, because of the money. So don't let this hold you back. Be mindful of how you spend your money, because it's going to happen incrementally. It starts out with Starbucks every day. And then it goes to other treats and ways to comfort yourself. Does that mean you don't have – no. You can, like, have things that are helpful for you, but it's when it starts becoming a habit because you deserve it. And so be mindful because that's how you start getting sucked into that. Um, if you are – once you get accepted to medical school, um, a nursing program, and I think a PA program, uh, there's something called National Health Service Corps. So it's NHSC on here. It's a government program that lets you – if you get the scholarship – what they do is uh, you apply in the spring, you find out in the fall if you get it. For every year that you are awarded, they pay for your medical school, and they give you a stipend for living expenses. Then the way you pay back is when you graduate from residency, you pay back for every year that you got it with a year of service. So, for example, my husband got it his third year of med school, so his last two years were paid for, and then we were committed to two years of service. But... It's different than a military, because the military does that too, but with the military, you have no choice. Whereas if you do NHSC and you get it, at the end of residency, you get a whole list of places that are underserved areas, which were all those um, maps that you saw. And then you just apply for a job at any of those places. So if you want to do urban or if you want to do rural, like, you can check that out. Um, both Christian Medical Dental Association and CCHF, we have job placement services where we have all, like, you can request an NHSC site so we can help match you in those places. Another organization is called MedSend. Has anybody heard of MedSend? They're on the first floor. MedSend was created so that missionaries don't have to have their loans hold them back. So that one's a private Christian um, funding where you uh, get ready to do your mission work. If you're going overseas, um, they work with your mission agency. If you're staying in the U.S., you have to work for a clinic associated with Christian Community Health Fellowship. And MedSend, you can apply for those loan repayments, and they'll help uh, take over your loans. So either way, and so you can visit their booth too. So these are some ways to help. So be mindful of how you spend money, but also to be strategic in the ways you live live your life so that you're not incurring so much debt. Okay, next is lifestyle. Don't be so focused on yourself. It's so easy to just focus on your life and your what you're studying and neglect everything else around you. Um, make sure, yes, that you are eating properly and exercising and studying and getting rest. But keep an eye out for other people. There are broken, hurting people all around us. It may be other students. It may be people that live in your neighborhood. Be on the lookout and be prayerful and love others the way that you love yourself. The next one is holiness. So we see this verse from Philippians 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The reason why I put this up is, as I've, I've done college ministry for years, something has been lost that I've seen of a desire for holiness, meaning uh, God loves me and God understands me and God forgives, forgives me, so I can do you know, this thing and it's that, not that bad of a sin. Sin is sin is sin, and sin blocks us from our relationship with God. So the reason I bring this up is our culture says it's okay, like all you have to do is confess and you'll be fine. 
Um, but that's not how God operates. God call, We serve a holy God, and so we need to live lives of holiness. And we have an enemy out there that is looking to devour us. So Satan knows what your weaknesses are. Do you know what your weaknesses are? Because when you are tired, when you've been doing all-nighters, and you're, uh, or maybe like you didn't do well on a test, and you're just feeling down, that's when Satan is ready to devour you. So you need to be aware of what are your temptations, have accountability, shine light on that darkness, so that you don't get sucked into it. Because... Too many people I know have gotten sucked into it, and they're like, well, I'm no good for God now because, you know, I've messed up, so I might as well just do something else. Don't fall into that trap because it is a trap, and it is a trap from Satan. So be aware. Um, Okay, like I said before, be aware of your uh, finances. You want to live a lifestyle of simplicity and good stewardship. Don't get caught up in the mentality that you need stuff to make you happy. I knew of someone who went to med school and put so much on their credit card, including a brand new car, and she had accumulated so much debt during her med school years that it totally limited her possibilities after graduation. In case you don't know, mission agencies do not let you do mission work overseas until you're debt-free. So if you have this plan and then you come out of school with so much debt, you're going to, that's going to limit you. Um, next, stay connected with the world and the news. There is so much to pray for out there. And in our country, I don't know if you all have Snapchat, but I follow NBC on Snapchat. It's called Stay Tuned because I'm like, okay, I don't have time to read all the news things. So I get like a minute of news just by watching that. And then I go and research if like, I'm like, okay, let me find out more about what's going on here. So whatever it takes to like just know what's out there and to be prayerful and aware. Um, Liz is going to talk about relationships. Okay, so who is married in this room? Couple folks, couple folks. Not too many, not too many though. So this is the group that I want to talk to, the single group. Okay, I mean the marrieds you can listen to. They're they're good thoughts. Um, so I need to walk around for this because this is the juicy stuff, right? This is the stuff that we think about no, no, a lot. No, they are at a missions conference. They're just thinking about Jesus. They're not thinking about only, only. Okay, but real talk, relationships are super important in your training years. And I'm not talking specifically just about romantic relationships, but all relationships. It's crucial to get you through your training years. But for right now, we're just going to talk about singleness. So singleness, when I was in med school, God spoke to me really clearly about this. I was studying with a group, and um, we finished studying for as our group, and we're just going to go our separate ways and study alone for a little while. And one of the guys in our group, he was married, and he had a couple kids. And he was like, okay, well, this is the last I'm going to study because i got to go home. Blah, blah, and be, be just really present, as he, as he should have been, as a husband and a dad. And I remember thinking, like, oh, wow, how are you doing that? Like, this girl's got to study a lot more for hours and hours on end. And I came home and went to have dinner, and then the Lord just really spoke to me. And he said, baby girl, you talk a lot about that, like, take advantage of your singleness. But what does that really mean? And I thought it was like, well, I don't get to let, I can make decisions on my own. I don't have to, like, confer with somebody. I can go and travel and visit missionaries, blah, blah, blah. But the Lord really spoke very clearly. was like, I am your spouse. The time that your classmate spends with his spouse, that's what I want you to do with me. I am your husband. Take advantage of your singleness and spend that extra time with me because I am vital. I am the breath in your lungs. I am the bread of life. Take advantage of your singleness and spend time with me. And it really struck me. Um, I, 
also just interrupt and say, I mean, I'm not married, but I've talked to a lot of married folks, and Jesus is the best spouse that you will ever find. <laughs> he says the right thing every time. He's so great. Um, marriage is great, but it also, Jesus, he, he knows where it's at, for sure. So I just want to reiterate to you, I mean, Paul talked about this as well, right? He says, if you're single, remain single. And he also is very clear to say, look, this is not a God command. This is just what I recommend to you, because this isn't a restriction. This is a benefit. And now I know I lost a couple of you on that, and they're like, this girl is on the same bus as Paul. She is, like, called to singleness for the rest of her life. I'm not. But I really want to reiterate to you that this season of singleness is not just a preparation time. I don't know how many of you have heard this. It is said to me a lot of just like, you know, God is just preparing you. You're just not ready yet for marriage, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, all right, I'll receive that. But after a while, I was like, you know, that's kind of absurd because there's a lot of married folk that don't seem like they're totally prepared for marriage. Right? You married folk, right? It's the truth. You're not like, you have arrived, now you're married. Like, that is not the truth. This is not just your preparation period. So I want you to really get this in your brain, that this is not just a preparation period. Because preparation also has this, like, drudgery sense to it, right? Like, you do drills before your sports game. You practice your instrument before the recital. You do med school before you practice as a physician. God has you single right now because he saw it better for his glory and for your good to be single in this season. And that's a great thing. I don't want you to get it twisted. Our God is not withholding from us. Our God loves you and he is wonderful and is good. It says in the word, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God is not withholding a spouse from you, but instead, I'm going to say it again, he has you single in this moment because he saw it as good and, in fact, better for his glory and for your good to be single in this moment. And so hear that, okay? I'm not saying that's going to be for the rest of your days, but what I am saying is trust him. Trust his heart that it's good towards you and he loves you and he wants to give you good things. Do you want me to talk about community as well? Okay. So so moving on towards... um, And also, don't rush the season. It's a good season. It's full of adventure and beauty and life. And yes, it's hard, but so is marriage. Okay? So, let's talk about community. It is vital to your training. And why is it so vital? It is vital because training is hard. Med school is hard. PA school is hard. Why is it so hard? Well, I'll tell you. Because you're just alone with you and your books and your highlighters for hours on end, right? You have, like, just your books and your highlighters and all these thoughts that you're not really good enough for this. All these thoughts that you're really inadequate. All these thoughts that, like, you're never going to make it or you're not going to pass or you're not going to do well enough. And the reason that community is so important is because it gets you out of that mindset, right? Like, it helps... It brings truth into your life of what actually is the truth. Because the truth, I guess, let me just say this. When we're asking all these questions, all too often we get the answers from our grades. We get the answers about our self-worth and our value from what other people say. We get the answers about our self-value by what, what we've achieved in our successes. Instead of the truth of God's word and what we actually should get the answer of what our value and worth is from, right? So when we look at even like in Acts 2, there's this amazing community of believers that would get together, eat together, break bread together, pray together, focus on the teachings together. And what was the result? The result was that people came in number and came to know Jesus. The result was that they were glad, they were generous in their hearts. 
I remember being a student, I didn't feel very generous in my time or in my money, in any of that. But, like, living in community allows you to be generous, allows you to invite people into your community. The other reason that community is so important is, like I said, when you're alone with those thoughts, it it's hard to fight that battle alone. So let me just be real honest with you. Jesse introduced me as the um, assistant program director of the residency program at Lawndale Christian Health Center, which is great and super exciting and also terrifying. Like, this, I just literally found out about this two weeks ago. Um, and so I was super pumped, and, like, I was texting family and friends, and then literally about 30 minutes after that, I just kind of started shrinking down and was like, what was I thinking? I don't know anything. This is going to be the blind in the blind. Like, what in the world? And the Lord was very quick and showed me, like, baby girl, do you not see that the enemy is literally stealing your joy right before your eyes? You were super excited about this, but the fear has overcome you. And so I had to call on the troops. I had to call on my community and be like, you've got to pray for me. You've got to speak truth over me. And it was so important because we need people to, to speak truth to us when we're not able to see it ourselves. We need people to pray for us. We need people to confess to, right? James says in his word to confess to one another, pray for one another, and through that you will receive healing. We, if, when we have those opportunities to confess one another, there's actually like healing that happens within that. One of the pastors that I just adore and love, he always would go around saying like, you got to reveal it to heal it so that God can heal it, which is just really true. And, or if you keep those lies and those thoughts in your own mind, you're going to be just succumb to them and you're going to lose that battle. But you need to invite community in. And so Jesse's going to talk a little bit more of how to promote that community. I love when Liz preaches. <laughs> So, um, you know, so right now, where you're at, raise your hand if you're in a campus fellowship right now. Fellowship group. If you are not in a campus fellowship group and there is one on your campus, pray about how you can get connected with it. Um, I get asked a lot from undergrad students, like, how can I prepare for medical missions? The medicine you're going to do, like, in med school, like, you don't have to worry about your medical training. You're going to get that. But... Make sure that you learn how to understand your Bible, because if you're not rooted in that, you're going to miss out. Make sure you learn, how do I actually have spiritual conversations with people in a way that's not weird? And so that's what you can learn from your campus ministries. Um, Also, you need to be plugged into a church. It's good to have um, peer relationships with Christians, but church was meant to be intergenerational. You need to have babies, and you need to have senior citizens. You need the whole package. And so if you're not plugged into a church community, find one, pray about one, ask people, hey, where do you go to church? Um, because God never meant for us to be just with everybody in the same age. That's kind of weird. Um, so, yes, be involved with that. If you need help in finding community wherever you're at, please come and talk to me. I can help you with that. Um, the last two things, make sure you're getting rest. It's too easy to lack sleep. You need sleep. Your body's going to shut down. So make time for rest. And then also, you should be able to have fun. So find ways that um, there are hobbies so that you're doing something that's not always about studying. Um, spiritual conversation. Okay. So one thing that I do recommend is if you can find a mentor in your church community that may be outside of your medical bubble. That might be helpful to just kind of give you perspective. So that's what I normally recommend for my college students when they leave, um, to find somebody older and wiser who can just, like, speak truth and love into your life. Um, Spiritual conversations. 
The gospel is the gospel. It is good news here, and it is good news there. If you are like, one day I'm going to be a medical missionary or a missionary and share the good news over there, if you're not doing it now, something is wrong. We don't all of a sudden become uh, evangelists when we're on the medical field. In fact, if you haven't practiced, you're probably not going to do it later. So right now, who are the people that you can share the gospel with? Are you aware of the unreached people on your campuses? Are you aware, like on where I do college ministry, it's the football team. It's the soccer team. It's the lacrosse team. There are students that come just for their sports that are, um, have, like the Europeans like, that we've met, have not heard the gospel at all. I'm meeting with a Norwegian student right now who's like, I come from an atheist country and an atheist family. And when I took world religions in high school, it opened my eyes like I had no idea people believed in a supernatural power. You serve a supernatural God. Do people around you, are they aware of the power of our mighty God that does miracles? Because if we're not living it out, trusting God, and talking about it, how is anybody going to know? One of the brochures I have there, uh, there's a ministry called Medical Strategic Network. They actually do a one-week camp in California um, where they help you verbalize how do you have these spiritual conversations. So that we highly recommend um, going to that. Uh, there's two books uh, by the author James Chong, and, yep, they're written down there. One is called Real, uh, Real Life, and the other one is called True Story. And both of them are written in a style that is kind of a story about somebody sharing the story of Jesus. And I highly recommend those books as well, because you need to learn how to talk about Jesus. Just even think about you hanging out with your Christian friends. What percentage of your conversation is about God? We're just so used to not talking about God in our everyday life. And that's weird. We're Christians. Like, that should be overflowing from us. So we need to start doing that now. Um, And lastly, spiritual personal growth. Uh, To grow spiritually, you need to be with Jesus. If you do not make time and energy to grow spiritually, you're not going to be well. Because you're missing out on the biggest thing in life. The craziest thing is when I hear Christians say that they're going to go do things for the Lord, but then they make no effort to spend time with him. God does not care what you do for him if you do not care enough to be with him. Amos 5.22 says, Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice offerings, fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, come follow me, like physically be with me and follow what I'm doing. He didn't say, hey, it's good to meet you. Now go and do this work for me. That's not how Jesus works. He wanted his disciples to be with him, and he wants us to be with him. Read your Bible. Pray every day if you want to grow. But you have to learn how to do it and be disciplined in doing it. But I want you to have grace for the seasons as well. For a lot of us, it is not realistic to get up at 4.30 in the morning, spend an hour with Jesus, and then if you're in med school or residency, go and do medical rounds, right? That's not necessarily realistic. I was a homeschool mom of three kids, and I ran the college ministry at my church. So I had to figure out ways. How am I going to make time with God? You have to incorporate scripture in life somehow. Memory verses, putting it on index cards. Like on my phone right now, I just took a screenshot of – a Bible passage, because I want to be reminded of God's word, because we're a forgetful people. Look at the Israelites. They forgot about God all the time. We're no different. So we have to be intentional in keeping God um, in the forefront. There's an awesome book called Practicing His Presence, 
by Brother Lawrence, and it's a very skinny book, and it talks about how do you practice the presence of God in the mundane, because we have a lot of mundane moments in our lives, so how are we going to keep that going? You all are in a time period where if you have no excuse because of technology, on your commute, when you're driving, you can listen to a sermon, you can um, listen to the Bible being read to you, do whatever it takes to listen to good talks, um, be involved in scripture, because you have the blessing of being able to do that. Um, and then you can take a screenshot of this next one. These are some books that I highly recommend. The first one is called Prescription for Hope. The Esperanza uh, Health Center has a booth here, and this is the story of Esperanza, how God took a woman that was just minding her business, and God had her start a medical clinic from scratch. So that's an awesome inspirational story. The second one is called On Being a Missionary. It was written by Thomas Hale, who was a missionary in Nepal for 25 years, and it is um, the definitive handbook on being a missionary. And the last one, Upholding the Vision, is a series of articles that our ministry publishes of people who are in the field and working. And you'll hear, like, stories of ups and downs and the realities of working amongst the poor and the marginalized. Um, and you can get that through us. Um, if you go on our website, cchf.org, um, you can go on the student page and you'll find my information there. Um, there is this, uh, I will, if you contact me, I will send you this e-book, um, and it was written by a resident, actually, if you go to In His Image uh, Residency, David McVeigh is in the residency now, and he actually wrote this e-book for students because of what he learned there. I can send you a digital copy of that, um, and then just keep in touch with me, and I will, um, one of the things I love to do is pray for students, because this is all a journey, and we're all in different places, so please contact me, and I would love to keep in touch with you. Um, and again, don't forget about taking pictures of those slides on the side. After this, if you want to talk to us, Liz and I will both be available for a few minutes. Um, and then I'm going to go back to our CCHF booth so you can catch us there and other people there. So my prayer for you. Go ahead. Um, somebody had announced before the class as well that um, there's also a dinner. So mm -hmm. grab your dinner and then in classroom ED216217 is all for like Christian or kingdom-minded residency programs. Um, so I'll be jetting over there, but actually David McVeigh will, McVeigh will be over there as well who wrote this book. Um, so yeah, go ahead over there, grab your dinner, and go over there will be more discussion. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I'm going to pray for us. Make sure you fill in that uh, survey, and uh, I hope by the time this conference ends, you have been able to soak in what God has been telling you because he has so much for you, and we just need to have ears to hear him. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you again for this time. Thank you that you are a God who speaks. You are not silent. So help us to have ears to hear you. We just give you the praise and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all.